Okay, I wanted to start out tonight by just doling out a little relationship advice. You know, Vaughn and Caitlin are our resident couple here, getting ready to get married. And I thought before, we're going to look at a kind of long passage tonight. And before, well, well, I want to look at the passage first and then I'll give you the relationship advice. So uh, we're going to be talking about relationship advice in this passage, Um, this story of what happens when Moses comes down after meeting with God on the mountain. So uh, last week, if you were, we were actually next door last week, but if you were around, you uh, know that we looked at the Ten Commandments and how God led Israel out of Egypt to uh, bring them to himself to be his people and so that uh, they could be in intimate relationship with him and so they, he provided them with... Uh, a way of relating to him in these commandments. And uh, the story we're going to look at tonight is what happens when Moses comes down the mountain. So uh, let me read it for us, and then we'll spend just a little while examining it together. So this is Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he, rec- he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will inherit, uh, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain and with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. 
But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the, the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not your anger, the anger of my Lord, burn hot. You know the people, and they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Okay, a lot there. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we... uh, often don't know what to make of a story that's from long ago and in many ways foreign to us. Uh, We pray as we look at this one that you'd make it come alive for us and shape us by it and uh, change us by it, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the relationship advice. This is free. Just like, you know, whenever you need to use it. Um, A lot of times in relationships when people get together and they start dating or maybe they start uh, dating more seriously, what happens is that, and you may have experienced this, is that you're always kind of putting your best foot forward around that person, right? Like if you're interested in someone, you are always showing them the best side of you. And what happens then when couples get more serious is that... uh, the other person will realize that you are not exactly who you were representing yourself to be all the time. And you would realize that about the other person as well. Uh, And you may realize, you know, this is not the person that I thought when I started dating them. Or this is not the person I thought when I got engaged to them. Or this is not the person I thought when I married them. And at that point you have a couple options, right? You could break it off. You know, if you're just dating, you could break up. Or, you know, this is a reason a lot of people get divorced when they're married. And, but the other option would be to say, well, I'm going to choose to love this person even though they're not the person that I thought. And I'm going to be committed to them. Um, So uh, most of the time, relationships like that there's a pattern that recurs over and over in many relationships where people realize this isn't the person that I thought and so I'm out of here. Uh, Or you try to hang on to the relationship by forcing them to be someone that they're not. So uh, a lot of the times relationships break up because people are like, listen, you're trying to make me into someone that I'm not. Like, I'm not who you wish I was, so, and it's crushing me that your expectations are so high. Um, so this, is, this happens all the time in relationships. And what I want us to see in this story of God's people 
is that God wants to bring his people close to him. Like, if you can get one thing out of the story of Exodus, it's that God wants his people close to him. He wants closeness, intimacy with them. But that closeness only works if you come to love God for who he is and not who you want him to be. And so with that in mind, I want to look at what we learn about sin, what we learn about ourselves, and what we learn about God from this story of God's people worshiping the golden calf. So first of all, what do we learn about sin in this story? Now, remember, Moses is Moses has been up on a mountain getting, receiving instructions from God for 40 days. So God's people have been camped for 40 days at the foot of this mountain waiting for Moses to come down. And he's getting instructions about how to build the tabernacle, which is where they will worship eventually. And after waiting a while, they get impatient and they demand that Aaron, Aaron's Moses' brother, his assistant, they say, make gods for us. And so what we see as the story unfolds is that Aaron agrees to make, gather the gold and make a golden calf for the people. And what you need to see about uh, the way they're worshiping here is that they're not actually worshiping the calf. There's a part, I think it's in the, on the next screen. Well, no, it's on the first screen, sorry. Um, Yeah, verse 5 there. It says, Tomorrow, Aaron uh, builds this altar for the golden calf, and he says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And that, the word the Lord is like God's personal name. Like it's a translation of the word Yahweh, this personal name of God. And so they're actually worshiping the true God, but in the wrong way. They're, in other words, they're making the God that they should know into someone and something that he's actually not. So they're not replacing him. They're just making him the way they want him to be. Like they want him to hurry up. And so they make their own calf. Um, their sin is that they're worshiping the true God in a false way. They're making God into something that he's not. And what we need to see is that's a picture of us when we worship God. Um, we take what we know to be true about God and we distort it. Uh, you may say, well, how do we do that? Um, well, the way I need, we need to think about it is that how often does God, when we think about God, how often does he end up seeming a lot like us? Uh, how often when we think about God, do we, does God end up kind of hating the same people that we hate? And, uh, you know, how often does God get annoyed with other people's sin but not our own sin when we imagine God, when we think about what God must be like? Um, you know, how, how have you tamed God in your reflection on him and in your thinking about him? Uh, how have you made God into something that he's not? Maybe you've made him too comfortable maybe your God doesn't ever challenge you to anything difficult in life. Or maybe uh, your God just wants you to be happy all the time, uh, which is, you know, not a reflection of the true God of the Bible. Um, 
But in this story, God refuses to be tamed. He refuses to be worshipped in the wrong way. And so it says his wrath burns hot. And we often, when we think about the word wrath, we think like, oh, come on, wrath? Like, wrath is a weird word. We don't, you know, why does God have to be a God of wrath? Um, But what you need to see is that God's wrath burns hot here because of the closeness of the relationship he wants with his people. God's wrath burns so hot because he doesn't want to settle for a false relationship with his people. He wants the real thing. He wants them to know the real him and love the real him, just as we would in a relationship. So um, that's the sin, you know, that's the underlying sin in this passage, and it reflects our own sin. But I want to think more about our own hearts and ourselves here. Um, You know, in the same way that you can't have a relationship with God unless you acknowledge and know him to be who he really is, you can't have a relationship with God unless you come to God as the real you. So we need to come to the real God and not our own, you know, notion of who he might be, and we need to come to him as the real us. Uh, Anybody ever watch, like, one of those Bachelor or Bachelorette shows, reality TV? There's been, like, it's been on for, like, 15 years or so, like, 16 years, and uh, still going strong. There's Bachelor, Bachelorette every year, and uh, you guys know the premise of the show, right? Everyone is, like, lining up to try to get married to this one person, and, and, you know, like we were talking about before, everyone's putting their best foot forward and doing everything they can to impress this person so that they can end up with him or her, depending on which show it is. And I was looking up the statistics about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Okay, there's actually 34 couples. You know, so I guess, what is that? Uh, 17 of each. 17 seasons each. And out of the 34, I'm sorry, there's 28. So 14 seasons each. And out of the 28 couples, six are still together today. So... Less than 25% success rate, right? And it's ob- the reasons why are obvious, because no one's being themselves when they start the relationship. And the whole show is built around the premise that like, if you, you know, can get this person to you know, do whatever you can to get them to accept you, then it'll all work out, but it obviously won't. Um, in our story, what we just read, Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf that Aaron has made for the people, he's mad. He smashes like the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on with the finger of God himself. He smashes him and he demands an explanation from Aaron. And Aaron is kind of in damage control mode. Go to that next one, Danny. Um, Aaron's like getting super defensive. He's just trying, like, he knows it's, he's in trouble. He knows something has gone horribly wrong, and he doesn't want God or Moses to see the real him, so he starts passing blame around like crazy. You know, this is verses 22 through 24, and he says, you know, first of all, he blames the people in verse 22, and he's like, you know these people? They're set on evil. Uh, And then he blames Moses, and he's like, you know, we didn't know what happened to you. Like, that's what they said to me. They said, we don't know what became of Moses. Like, you were up there a pretty long time. 
Uh, and then in verse 24, he says something completely ridiculous. At the end of verse 24, he's like, you know, so I got all the gold together and I uh, threw it in the fire and out popped this calf as if like, you know, it magically just popped out of the fire and I didn't do anything. And see, what he's doing is he's shifting the blame. And it's what we all do when we know we're guilty. It's what we all do when we know that we're messed up. And we say, you know, it's not me, it's my circumstances. It's not me, it's my parents. It's my family. Or we say things like, you know, I just got to get through college. And then, you know, I'll straighten out. You know, it's, it's, it's just a stage of life. I'm in. Like, it's impossible. You know, where I'm at right now, uh, we sh- are constantly shifting blame away from ourselves. Um, there was a, about a hundred years or so ago, there was this uh, prominent author and writer and philosopher named G.K. Chesterton. He was a Roman Catholic and a uh, really good writer. And he said uh, one time a newspaper approached him and they were like, we're getting a bunch of responses. We want people to write in and give a response to the question, what's wrong with the world? And so G.K. Chesterton pulled out his paper and he wrote a letter to the people that, that were running the newspaper and he said, you know, to the question, what's wrong with the world? He said, dear sirs, I am. And that was it. That was his whole letter. Um, G.K. Chesterton is someone who understands his own heart. Our tendency is to blame anything other than ourselves, but God wants a real relationship with us, and he wants a relationship with the real us. And it can only happen when we stop pretending like Aaron's doing here, and we just say, yes, it's all true. It's all true. About me, like, it's true. This is who I am. And just as a side note, you know, thinking about your own friendships and relationships, like, you'll never have a good relationship with anyone if they can't see the real you. You'll never have, you'll never experience joy in relationships unless you allow people to see the real you as well. Um, but how can you actually do that? You know, can't you see yourself in, Mo- in Aaron here doing anything to shift the blame? Just like, you know, being caught red-handed and just first instinct is like, who can I blame but myself? And how can we ever do that, really? How can we expose ourselves in that way and just be like, yeah, it's all true. I'm not a good person. It's all true. I mess things up all the time. Uh, Isn't the risk too great? Uh, And that's where we come to God. So we've talked about sin and we've talked about our own hearts. And what I want to look at last is what do we learn of God in this passage? Um, Go back to that first slide, Danny. In verse 10, uh, God's about to consume the people. Like, God is a God of wrath. And he says, like, Moses, I'll just start over with you instead. Like, let's, let's just start over with you instead and forget these people. And uh, Moses, though, steps in for the people. Like, God's, God's kind of like, it seems like he's setting Moses up to intercede on behalf of the people. And Moses does. But what you need to see, what you can't miss in verses like 12 and then on 13 on the next slide is that when Moses is you know, defending, when he's t- 
talking to God and interceding for them, he doesn't appeal to anything in the people that makes them worth saving. He appeals instead to God's own character and reputation. He appeals to God's promises, which is a huge relief, right? You know, what if he had said, like, oh, they're actually good people. Uh, then, every, then they would have to live up to that. You know, no one, no one can bear the weight of that. But if it's based on who God is, then our standing can be secure with him. Uh, in other words, you being made right with God has nothing to do with you and what you've done. and has everything to do with who God is and what he's done on your behalf. And the amazing thing about this story, and God's wrath does burn hot here, like God is angry, but the end result of this account is that God continues with this people. They couldn't go 40 days without breaking commandment number one. They remain his special people. You know, we looked last week at the, how God calls his people his treasured possession. And even after this, they stay that for him. God's people remain his treasured possession even when they are guilty of blatant sin. And, you know, we could summarize the semester and that we've looked in Exodus over and over again. We could summarize it in this story. God is committed to failures. If you haven't seen it up to this point, you need to see it in this passage. God's just committed to people who fail at stuff, that fail at being what he wants them to be. Um, and, you know, the question is, how could he be so committed? How could God be committed to people that turn on him? How could God be committed to me when he knows the thoughts that go through my head and he knows what I do with my sexuality and he knows where my mind goes and he knows what I do behind closed doors and he knows everything about me, how could he not be ashamed of me? And the answer to that question, and it's hinted at here, is that someone steps in on our behalf. The reason that he can ultimately be committed to us is because he allowed his wrath to burn hottest against his own son, Jesus, instead of us. Um, Why does his wrath burn hot? What you can't miss about love is that the greatest love will always have wrath. I remember when Margot was born, I can remember almost instantaneously thinking, like, if anybody hurts her, I will kill them. Because I love her so much. And I can remember thinking, like, if she, I will be so sad and angry. You know, we talk about, like, what if Margot dates dudes that are bad? Like, we will be so heartbroken and mad about that because we love her so much. How could God, a God whose wrath burns hot, 
and who loves us so much, though, how could he stay with us? And the only answer is that someone had to absorb the wrath. Because, you know, what we're guilty of is messing up his world. And our sin hurts other people, and not just ourselves, and not just him. And so the only answer is that someone had to absorb God's wrath, and the person who did it was God's own son, Jesus. Um, he takes away our guilt and our shame. And you can walk around and pretend like, you know, I'm not a failure. I've got my act together. You know, I'm fine. What do I need? Like, I'm doing great. And you could walk around like that, but you will miss God if you do. You will not have a relationship with God if you do. But if you can say, yes, I'm a failure. Uh, yes, I'm phony. Yes, I'm someone who makes God into who someone I want him to be rather than who he actually is. But there's someone who absorbed God's wrath for me so that I could be with him forever. That's what it means to be saved. Salvation can be boiled down to I am a great sinner and God is a great savior through Jesus. And the more you rest in that truth, the more life will feel like flourishing. Uh, the more joy you will experience in the midst of trials and in the midst of waiting. So let me just close by praying that God would enable us to do that uh, today, even now. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are so much like these people, it's not even funny, these Israelites. Uh, we are very quick to form you in our own image and to make you into someone you're not so that we can feel better about ourselves. Uh, we pray that you would allow us to worship you truly. Uh, we pray that we would come to know Jesus in such a way that we could uh, be honest about who we are and uh, trust in your grace. And that we'd be new people because of it. That we'd be able to love others because of... Uh, a closeness with you that can only happen when we know the real you and we allow you to know the real us. Uh, we pray that it would lead us into greater fellowship with one another. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.